these things. Amen. Amen. If you all will, please turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8 for our scripture reading this morning. Once you've found it, if you will, please rise. John chapter 8, we'll be reading verses 1 through 11. It's a very common story that we tell. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses has commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus, he bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone. And again, he stooped down and he wrote the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman standing still there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now. Leave your life of sin. The word of God to the people of God. I heard an old, old story. I'm not going to start singing for y'all. That is not my gift, but I can tell a story. And I have heard an old, old story. How a Savior came from glory. How he gave his life on Calvary. To save a wretch like me. And I heard about his groaning. Of his precious blood's atoning. Then I repented of my sins. And won the victory. Victory in Jesus. And the thing I love about that old hymn is that it tells a story. A story about Jesus. But here's the thing is as we travel through the hymn, we come to realize that the story is not just Jesus' story. The hymn tells a story of victory. But as we travel through the hymn, we realize it is not just a story of Jesus' victory. But it, because as we come to understand this story, we come to realize that Jesus' victory is in fact our victory. That Jesus' story becomes our story. There's power in stories, amen? Stories shape who we are. Stories shape our identity. 
Stories shape how we view the world and how we understand our place in it. Stories don't just entertain us. Stories define us. As many of you know, I love reading stories. I love reading mythology, ancient stories. I like to, you know, we talk a lot about these ancient rabbinic stories in, uh, in our Wednesday evening Bible study. And many, uh, almost a year ago, a friend of mine recommended a podcast to me. Does anyone here listen to podcasts? It's, it's called the Myths and Legends Podcast. And I'm just going to put a shameless plug in here for it because it is great. Yeah. It's written by Jason Weiser, and he tells some great stories from around the world. And that's what it is. He, he tells these ancient stories and talks a little bit about the world they came from, but also how they shaped the way different cultures view themselves. And there's this story he told that just has stuck with me for a long time. It's a story from West African folklore about a spider named the Nazi. Can I tell you all a story? Yeah. It's this uh, the, the stories of Anansi, the spider, um, have really traveled all around the world. And this spider is known for being kind of crafty. Uh, kind of tr a trickster a little bit, but really he's cunning. He's wise. And there's this famous story about how Anansi travels to the realm of the gods to bring stories back to humanity. Because Anansi, the spider, looks around, he sees people, and he sees that we just don't have any stories to share. We don't have stories that help define us. And so this spider realizes, knows that up with the sky god, the sky god kept a box, a beautiful wooden box that had some beautiful stories. And so Anansi the spider decides to travel up and to speak to the, to the sky god to ask for these stories. And so he spins a web and he uses it to climb up into the heavens. And he speaks with this sky god, Yame. And he says that he wants to purchase the box of stories to bring them back to earth for all of us. And Nyame just laughs and says, oh, little spider, you cannot pay my price. Many people have come to try and purchase these stories, but none have ever been able to pay. And so Anansi says, he, he says, I will pay, just name your price. And so Nyame says, Bring me the one that's called Onin, a python so big that he could swallow a goat. Bring me the one called Osibu, the leopard with sharp teeth. Bring me Moboro, the hornet, whose sting is like red-hot needles. And bring me Moatia, that ill-tempered little fairy that no one can see. Bring me these creatures, and I will give you the box of stories. Now, each of these creatures are remarkably dangerous. They would eat a small spider for a snack. But Anansi agrees. He goes home. He speaks about the task to his wife. And his wife and him sit down over dinner. And they come up with a bit of a plan. And the next morning, Anansi goes walking through the forest with a large palm, uh, palm stick. And he's just muttering to himself, saying, I know she's wrong. She doesn't know. I know. I know how big he is, but she just doesn't know. She doesn't have enough respect for the python. And as Anansi is walking through the forest, he catches the attention of the python. 
The python slithers down and says, Hi there, little spider. Yummy little spider. Why are you mumbling to yourself? And Anansi says, well, look, it's not me, it's my wife. I mean, I tried explaining to her, but does she listen to me? No, I'm just her husband. Why would she listen to me? And the python says, what's the problem? And so Anansi says, well, look, I think that you are so big that you're bigger than this palm branch. But she doesn't think you're that big. She doesn't think any python's that big. And so the python says, well, we can settle this real quick. Lay down that palm branch, and I'll just lay next to it. And Anansi says, that's a good idea. Lays down the palm branch, the python lays down, and, you know, the python was kind of coiled up. He had a hard time straightening out. But don't worry, the spider had an idea. The spider said, I know, I'll use some of my web, and I'll just tie your tail to the end of the branch, and then I'll, uh, you know, help stretch you out. I'll tie your head to the other end of the branch, and that way we'll prove once and for all that you're longer than this palm branch. And so the, the python lays down, Anansi ties the tail, ties his head, and the python says, yep, you see, I'm bigger than the palm branch. And the spider says, yeah, you are. Let's go talk to Nyame, the sky god. And off he goes with the python captured. The next day, Anansi comes and speaks with his wife, and now he has to capture the leopard. And this is going to be a real problem. And so he gets the idea, I'll, I'll build a little trap, I'll, I'll dig a hole, and I'll cover it with branches and leaves, and I'll get the leopard to fall in. And so he uh, builds the trap, takes him all day, he goes home that night, comes back the next day, and sure enough, he hears someone howling from the bottom of the pits. And he looks down, and there's the leopard. And Anansi says, what, what, what are you howling about? And the leopard says, can't you see I've fallen into this pit? Quick, help me out. And Anansi the spider says, I don't know if that's a good idea. I mean, you do eat spiders. And so the leopard says, I'll tell you what, I promise if you help me out, I will not eat you. Sounds good enough to me. And so the spider goes and pulls down a tree, gets it bent real low, uses his web to uh, tie a little rope down, says, quick, tie this web to your tail. Ties the web to his tail and... The leopard says, okay, pull me up. And the spider says, whoops, let's go with the tree. Flings the leopard up into the air. The leopard wraps around the tree with all the webs, and boom, he's stuck. The leopard says, quick, help me get down. And the spider says, yeah, but first we should go see Nyame the sky god. Off he goes. The second one is captured. Now what remains, he has to capture the hornet. And so he talks to his wife again. They come up with a plan. He gets like a gourd, hollows out the gourd, fills it with water, and climbs up to the top of the tree and splashes it on the hornet's nest, splashes it all over himself. It's a great way to get the hornets out of a hornet's nest, but I don't recommend trying this at home, by the way. And sure enough, the hornets come out. They are super angry, and there's that little spider sitting under a leaf. And he's like, wow, it must be raining. You know, I have this gourd over here. You can go stay in it to stay dry. And the hornets are like, oh, well, thank you. They go and fly into the hoard. He takes the gourd. He takes the leaf, covers it up, spins it up. Boom. Next creature is trapped. Let's go talk to Nyami, the sky god. The last creature that remained was this invisible fairy that's known for having a very bad temper. And so uh, how do you capture something you can't see? And Anansi gets this idea. 
he decides he'll create a doll, and he bakes this wonderful dinner. Well, he, he and his wife bake this wonderful... Well, Anansi's not known for cooking, okay? His wife bakes this wonderful dinner and gives it to him. And he takes it, and he sets it out in the middle of the forest, this dinner and this doll, and he spins a web, tying it to the doll, and he goes and hides in the tree. And he waits, until all of a sudden he hears a voice asking the doll, that dinner looks fantastic. May I try some? And so using his, his little web, he pulls on the strings, and sure enough, the doll starts nodding his head. And so, one by one, the little pieces of food start disappearing as this invisible fairy begins eating. And at the end, the fairy says, thank you very much. But the doll doesn't do anything. Anansi just leaves it still. I said, thank you. Aren't you going to reply? Nothing. Well, the fairy was known for having a very bad temper. And suddenly the fairy says, if you're going to be rude, I am going to smack you across the face. And next thing you know, that little doll's face just gets a little slap. But here's the thing. Right before setting up this trap, Anansi covered the doll with a sticky gum. And now, all of a sudden, there's this little invisible hand stuck to the face of the doll. <laughs> Let go of me, this voice starts shouting. Let go of me! Or I'll smack you again! And next thing you know, pop! Now there are two little invisible hands stuck to the doll. I'm warning you to let go of me. Pop, pop! Now there are two little feet stuck to the doll. And Anansi comes down, wraps up the doll with his invisible fairy, and off they go. And the story ends with Niame, the sky god, laughing and handing Anansi this box, this beautiful box of stories. And Anansi just opens it up and unleashes it upon the world. Stories flowing all throughout humanity. <coughs> stories flowing from family to family. And one of the things that I love about this story is not just about how stories come to humanity. The story tells us a lot about the values of this world. These stories come from a world where working smarter is valued over working harder. They come from a world where you don't have to have the sharpest teeth in the forest or the sharpest claws in the world to still be victorious and triumphant over ferocious beasts. It's a powerful story. And it defines an entire civilization and captures who they are, their identity. It's what we sometimes call an etiology. It explains why the world works the way that it does. But here's the thing, my friends. Everywhere we turn, we constantly face a world that is telling us stories. Stories that shape who we are. Stories that shape how we view our place in the world. They tell us stories that explain why the world works the way that it does. Why we are the way that we are. And here's the thing. Whether or not the stories are true, they leave a deep, and lasting impact on who we are. In fact, there's something called the illusory truth effect. It means if you hear something often enough, repeated over time, we will become comfortable with it, whether or not it is true. And if we hear something repeated enough, whether or not it is true, we eventually will start to believe it. And when we eventually start to believe it, we will eventually start repeating it. And when we start repeating it, we eventually start living according to it.
And now, whether or not that story is based in truth, the story becomes true for us. Because it defines the reality that we live by. This is the backbone of advertising. It's the backbone of political propaganda also, but I'm going to leave that aside for the moment. Tell a story loud enough, often enough, frequent enough, and eventually it will shape who we are. Can I give you an example? Has anyone ever told themselves this story? I'm just not good at math. Anyone? And think about all the things that lead us to tell ourselves that story, right? There are lots of things. Maybe it's, it's a teacher who says, oh, maybe you're not very good at this. Maybe it's just we, every time we turn in the paper and we get all those red marks back. And we just start telling ourselves that story. Maybe I'm just not good at math. And over time we tell that story, and that story eventually limits what we are willing to try in this world, doesn't it? So after a while, we just come to believe, I'm just not good at math. Maybe I just won't step out and try over there. Imagine how different things would be if instead of telling myself the story, I'm, not just, I'm just not good at math, if I started saying, maybe I'm just not practiced enough. Would things look different? Can, can, can I be honest with you all for a second? Okay. I teach writing. That's, that's what I do. I have students who come to me and I teach writing, okay? I almost failed my first college English class. <laughs> I'm not even kidding you. Like, you know how a teacher hands back the paper and, like, it has, a, it has red marks all over it? You get that, like, sudden freezing terror that you didn't do good enough? You, has, has anyone here ever felt that before? Okay. My teacher didn't even put a, a grade on my first paper. It was that bad. He just handed it back and said, I'm going to have you removed from the course. I don't know how you graduated high school, but we need to get you some remedial training. I'm, I'm serious. And I had to go to tutoring every single week for writing. And in tutoring, what I learned is that the story, I'm just not a good speller, I'm just not good at writing, over time transforms into, well, I guess I just haven't practiced. Maybe I can just practice a little bit more. And suddenly it changed the way that I viewed writing. Writing was no longer something forbidden to me. Writing was something that I was capable of. But I had to change the story. It's the backbone of advertising. In advertising, how do you convince someone that they need to purchase your merchandise? You tell them a story. You tell them that story often enough, frequently enough, and loud enough until they believe it. Tell them a story that something is missing from their life. Tell them a story that they're missing some great experience that only your product provides. Car commercials tell us that story all the time, don't they? My goodness, car commercials can make Dallas traffic look exciting. Do you want an adventure? Do you want to go where no roads have gone before? Buy this vehicle, yes, because I'm going to go off-roading through camera parks someday. <laughs> it doesn't matter how ridiculous the stories are. If I hear it often enough, I start buying in on some level, even if I don't know it. Y'all know what one of my favorite advertising stories is ever? Do you remember in the 90s when they did those gum commercials? And I don't even remember the brand of gum. You remember when, uh, you know, instantly the guy takes a bite of the gum and all of a sudden some random beautiful woman comes up and kisses him? <laughs> there is a lot we could unpack about that story. 
But come on, that is so unrealistic. Okay? One, uh, if, if I'm entirely honest, back in high school, I needed a lot more than chewing gum to get a date. Like, don't get me wrong, I am sure that their chewing gum is fantastic, but it is no match for my social awkwardness. But they tell me the story over and over again. And over time, I become familiar with it, I become comfortable, and I start believing it. And then I start telling it to myself, and it starts shaping who I am. Over time, I find myself wanting that storyline for myself. Because over time, they tell it to me often enough, and I start thinking, wow, maybe I am incomplete. Maybe I am missing out on something. Maybe I do need that product. Maybe I should really go and buy this. And so magazine covers tell me a story that to be beautiful, I have to look a certain way, wear certain clothes, or have certain kinds of jewelry. And over time, I start to believe it. Our materialistic culture may tell me a story that to be successful, I have to have a certain amount of money and drive a certain kind of car. And I hear it often enough, and over time, I start to believe it. Our consumeristic society can tell me a story that to be respected and to be admired, I have to have a certain position or I have to wear certain kinds of clothes. And over time, I start to believe it. Or the gossipers in life tell me a story about my failures. Tell me a story about my lowest moments. And over time, I start to believe that's all I am. Every time a boss dismisses my concerns as irrelevant, it reinforces a story that my voice just doesn't contribute anything to this world. Every time that a family member dismisses my attempts to communicate honestly and openly, it just reinforces a story that maybe my emotional well-being just isn't worth caring for. Everywhere we turn, the world is constantly telling us a story. They keep telling me a story about who I am. And when I hear those stories enough, I become comfortable with them. And once I'm comfortable with them, I start repeating them to myself. And after I start repeating them, I start believing them. And after I believe them, I start living by them. And it's only a matter of time before I actually start thinking that the clothes will cover my personal insecurities. It's only a matter of time before I start imposing those self-built barriers, limiting what I'm willing to try. Who knows? I start telling myself, I can't go over there and try that. I'm just not good over there because I have a story. I start telling myself, I can't step out on faith into this path because I have a story. Over time, those stories, one by one, can rob me of the good and beautiful gifts that God has given me. Over time, those stories, one by one, can rob me of the path that God may have placed me on. One by one, those stories can hand me superficial band-aids when God can be calling me to something so much more. One by one, these lies become a reality as long as I allow them to be the reality that I will live by. And you know what the most convincing stories are? The ones that are built on a selective telling of the truth. <laughs> the ones that stand on truth, but truth incomplete. Some of the most convincing stories will tell partial truths. We 
we may say selective truths. Like when people tell me a story of my failures. I have more than failures in my life, but when every time I hear the story it's only my failures, that's a very selective telling of my life, isn't it? When I'm reduced to the sum of my lowest points. The problem is that every time I hear a story of my failures, I know those failures took place, and so I'm tempted to believe that that's all I am. The stories are convincing. Society can point to all the times when I felt vulnerable and weak, but that does not mean that vulnerability is always weakness. Amen? Amen. Society can point to all the times when I did not speak up because I was afraid. That doesn't mean that silence is always cowardice. It may be true that I've had low points in my life, but that does not mean that those low points get to define my story. The most convincing stories are the ones that are selectively told. All around us, the world is telling us stories that shape how we view ourselves, that shape how we view the world around us. My friends, can I tell you a story? One day a group of holy and pious religious leaders, community leaders, come before Jesus and they drag a woman. And they tell Jesus a story about this woman. They tell Jesus a story about what this woman had done. And they caught her in the central and defining act of this story. And you know what I find amazing? Jesus does not allow the story of this one woman's low point to define who she is. You know what I find amazing? They come before Jesus and they tell him a story and Jesus sends her away with a different story. She comes before Jesus with one story and he sends her away with another. She comes before Jesus with one identity and he sends her away with another. They try to spin a story by selectively telling her past. Jesus gave her a new story by talking about her future. Go and sin no more. Because you see, my friends, the remarkable thing about this God, the remarkable thing about the Christian faith, the remarkable thing about this Jesus, is that no matter what story we come to him with, no matter what narrative we have used to define ourselves, when we come before the presence of this God, he will exchange our stories. Turn and tell someone he exchanges stories. When we leave the presence of this God, we can leave with a different story. We can leave with a different narrative. This God exchanges stories. Can I tell you a story, church? A story of Abram and Sarai who come before God with one name and leave with another. Turn and tell someone he exchanges stories. Can I tell you a story, church? There's a story of Jacob who begins as a trickster and a deceiver until he comes before the presence of this God. And then he leaves with a new name, a new identity, and a new story. Turn and tell someone he exchanges stories. Moses came before God with a story that he was not capable of speaking. God takes his story of Moses' inability and gives him a story of God's greater glory. Turn and tell someone he exchanges stories. Amos came before God with a story that he was not educated enough to speak powerfully onto the world stage. God takes the story of his inadequacies and hands him a story of God's supremacy. Turn and tell someone he exchanges stories. Isaiah may have came before God believing that his sinfulness kept him from serving the king of this universe. 
He left with a story of God's holiness and God's atonement. Jeremiah may have come before God with a story that he was too young to make a difference in the world. He left with a prophetic commission. Time and time again, in the Bible we find that God exchanges stories. Whatever story you may have carried in here today, I just stopped by to tell you that God has a new story for you. Amen. No matter what story has been defining your identity or limiting your path in this life, I just stopped by to tell you that God has a new story for you. Because our God is in the business of exchanging stories. Turn and tell someone he exchanges stories. No matter what story you may have believed about yourself, whether it's a story that we tell ourselves day in and day out, or a story that others wrote for us, when we come before the presence of this God, he will hand us a new story. He will hand us a new identity. He will hand us a new name. We may come before this God with a story that limits us, that tells us we cannot go there and we cannot accomplish great things over here. And God will hand us a story that frees us from yeah. those limits. Yeah. Yeah. We all come with stories. Because whether we like it or not, the world around us is always telling us these stories. Whether it's advertisers, whether it's the television, whether it's family, whether it's neighbors, they are all telling us the stories. And those stories will shape how we view ourselves. And when they shape how we view ourselves, they will shape what we are willing to try and accomplish in this world. And sometimes God is calling us to step out on faith. And the thing that holds us back is the fact that we've got this story telling us we're not capable. The fact that we have this story telling us we couldn't do that. And I just stopped by to tell you this morning. No matter what story you walked in here with, our God exchanges stories. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Amen? The doors of the church are open. My name is Constance, praise team seeker here at One Fellowship Church in Waco, Texas. Thank you for listening. You can learn more about our congregation online at onefellowshipumc.org. You can also like us on Facebook in order to stay up to date with the latest events and activities taking place in our community. Please feel free to share this message and others on social media so that more people can hear about what God is doing here at One Fellowship Church. Thank you and God bless.